welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Hi, and welcome back to Quaker Faith and Podcast. Today we have a special guest, um, Wes Daniels from Guilford College. Hi, everyone. Um, and Wes has written about uh, convergent friends a fair bit, and so we're going to talk about that. So um, I guess actually we should start with, could you tell us what you do at Guilford College? And then we'll go into. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm the director of the Friends Center and Quaker Studies at Guilford. I've been here for two years. Um, and Friends Center is really tasked with programming um, on campus and off campus kind of outreach with Quakers and often talking about the Quaker tradition, training staff, faculty, students uh, in, in our heritage. Uh, we also do campus ministry and we have the Quaker Leadership Scholars Program where we have about 50 students who are here at the college and I like to think about it in terms of like uh, uh, apprenticing students to the Quaker tradition in some way. Okay. Um, I mean, definitely know some, I definitely know at least one one, one person who came for that because it's John Watts. Yes, um, absolutely. So um, could you could you define what convergent friends means? Um, so Robin Moore, uh, was the one who coined the term in uh, late 2005, I believe. Um, and what it is is a, a sort of a portmanteau. So you put together uh, conservative and emergent, and you get this word convergent. Um, so it has a very specific meaning. Often people think that the, the, the normal uh, definition of convergent is things coming together. That's what I thought um, was. So, but it's 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 more specialized than that, actually. Uh, so it's it means being being conservative to the tradition, while also allowing for space to emerge within new contexts. So it's really a sense of saying we're going to hold these two things that are often uh, these two tendencies that are often opposed to each other. We're gonna we're committed to both. So kind of, um, it's sort of an evolutionary understanding of a faith tradition that it continues to change and grow mm -hmm. um, rather than, you know, it has to be, it has to look this way, the way it's always looked, or, you know, on the other hand, we might just throw the whole thing out and we're going to start from scratch. So convergent is really an impulse to, to refuse doing either of those two things. Um, the part, part where it really, it is about people coming together is um, kind of the third piece. So you have con conservative, emergent, and then dialogue. So we often, uh, so convergent friends are people who are committed to dialogue across the Quaker branches. And, mm -hmm. and I think, not, and not just committed to dialogue, but actually um, I would say are sort of people in between. Um, so these are folks who have over time become comfortable worshiping in program, semi-programmed, unprogrammed meetings. They're mm -hmm. comfortable translating wherever they're at. Um, right. You know, they can are happy to worship with evangelical friends and FGC friends. Um, and, and so, in a sense, are um, 
yeah, this sort of crossover, transgress a lot of different boundaries that way. Okay. So that's a long... Yes, but... That, but that's <laughs> sort of getting at... So it's really those three things, conservative, emergent, and dialogue across the branches. Okay, and um, so are you seeing trends of convergence happening within all of the branches or some of them? Like, is does that movement exist within all of them? Yeah, I think so. I think it's um, I think it's an impulse that has been around. I think Peggy Morrison maybe was the one who said that you know as long as there have been um, you know sort of splits among friends, there have mm -hmm. been convergent friends. Um, and so I think that it is an impulse that we can find in probably maybe not in every meeting, uh, but I think in all of the big branches. Um, and I think it tends to be people who don't who don't fit neatly into into one of the boxes, you know. Mm -hmm. So you're in evangelical friends, but maybe you're more uh, politically liberal, or maybe you, your theology doesn't quite align with more conservative theology. Um, you know, maybe you have a different way of sort of looking at scripture. Um, so you find yourself kind of on the edge of that community. Uh, or maybe you really, you like calling yourself a Quaker, and in that community, that's really off-putting. Maybe right, a lot of a lot of them say friends church, and they wouldn't use the word Quaker as much, right? Exactly, yeah. In some in some place, in the yearly meeting that I became a Quaker in, they they had made in a, uh, and it really worked to sort of distance themselves from the word Quaker because they I think that they felt or maybe still feel like that means a certain set of you know, liberal politics, liberal theology, mm -hmm. maybe maybe atheist or something like that. Well, and, and given where they're located, they are rather surrounded by liberal Quakers. Well, that's true, yes. So, um, on the other hand, you know, there are folks in more liberal traditions or, you know, unprogrammed friends who are Christian or Christ-centered. They read the Bible. You know, they have commitments that don't fit in nicely into that the, the boxes that are often sort of set for them. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that maybe less syncretism, which yeah. liberal friends have a lot of syncretism. And for anyone listening who doesn't know what that means, that's the thing where you borrow from other traditions and mix them in. Yeah, exactly. So I think that that's one way to know if you're a convergent friend. Uh, might be that you feel comfortable in a lot of different spaces mm -hmm. uh, or that you don't feel like you fit exactly. Um, so, yeah. Wondering because there are some yearly meetings, like a New England yearly meeting, has both um, program meetings and unprogram meetings. Right. So, do you feel like um, yearly meetings that have that within them um, are you know, more ahead on the convergence? Like, does, it, does that make sense? Yeah. So, I, so um, I do think that New England is a good example of what's possible. Um, Great Plains yearly meeting is another one that has programmed and unprogrammed meetings in it. Um, but I would say that it's more than just, um, it, it's not just having different types of worshiping communities in the, um, in, in the yearly meeting. I think that's great. I, but I think it's how, how do we have those worshiping mm -hmm. communities? Are we engaged with them? Or do we sort of see 
whether whether it's the unprogram group or the program group as sort of the lesser partner. Um, you know, they're the, those are the liberal folks, and we don't really think they're quite as good as us. Or those are the program folks, and we don't really respect people who have pastors. So, so I don't know. I mean, so I think if that is if that's where folks are at, then it's not really ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. If and I'm not saying I don't I don't know. Right. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it's, it's 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 not saying that either of those yearly meetings is like that. But if it were the case, right, then that would still not be you know a good thing. So so I think to me, con- convergence is as much a disposition or sort of a way of thinking and sort of viewing the Quaker tradition. So um, you know so I so one I'm not creating a hierarchy in terms of on program, program, what's one's mm-hmm. better. But also, I'm moving beyond that to say, what is it about the unprogrammed tradition that I can learn from and adapt my own tradition in a way that could become better based on that? So I'm willing to adapt and change my practice, my theological views, my way of speaking or interacting with God um, to match some of the strengths or you know, the things that are really alive in this other tradition. Um, and so, and so to create a hybrid. Um, so I think that there's a kind of a disposition uh, as well. So it's not just that we coexist, but we're actually engaged in this kind of project where we keep sort of growing off of each other and changing and adapting based on that very live dialogue that happens. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, it made me think of, um, you know, we don't have Micah here today, um, but, uh, in spirit, yeah. um, at, I remember going to a friends of Jesus gathering and, um, Chip, who is a friend from Ohio yearly meeting, mm. I remember him kneeling down and praying out loud during worship. And mm-hmm. that is not something I've ever seen in a liberal meeting. I've seen it happen, um, in another I've seen it happen at Chip's home meeting mm. now since mm. then, but um, kneeling and giving vocal prayer mm. is something that is still alive in Ohio yearly meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so still among the conservative friends, and you don't really see with the liberals so much. Um, and I'm I'll, I'm sure that among program friends there is vocal prayer, um, yeah. but maybe not so extemporaneous. I'm not quite sure. Um, but you know I've. I, I've, I've I've felt the impulse to do that before. I've actually I recall um, being at in a liberal meeting where afterward somebody during you know afterwards where because it was a very small meeting um, where they would talk about things afterward that didn't rise to the level of message. Someone said that she had this this feeling she really wanted to kneel, but but I know Quakers don't do that. And I went, mm. no, no, Quakers do do that. It's fine. Yeah. If you are led to kneel, then you kneel. Good. Yeah. That that really gets to exactly what I'm talking about. So. This idea that Quakers don't do. So mm-hmm. this is sort of this is a horse I've been on for a little while. I mean, that we're really that that when we when you hear someone say Quakers don't do, they're talking about Quaker culture. They're mm-hmm. not talking about the tradition, which the tradition is something uh, that is alive, that changes, adapts over time. Yaroslav Pelikan says, um, "Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living." And tradition is the living faith of the dead. Hmm. You know, so there's a sense of which is that which is moving, growing, 
that which is most alive among us. So when, when I hear someone say Quakers don't do, that's traditionalism. That's right. Quaker culture. Um, and, and Of course, you're just making me think of the, the uh, baptism tolerationists or whatever they were called. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, which, for listeners who are not familiar, toward the end of the 1800s, some friends decided that um, even if water baptism did not actually do anything supernatural to you, it was still a perfectly valid thing for a person to do to show their commitment to um, religious community yeah. or to God. Yeah. And um, so some friends actually do do water baptism. Mm-hmm. Um, you started in Evangelical Friends Church. They have that, right? Yeah. It's not a, it, it's something that is tolerated or allowed for. Right. It's, it's not, you wouldn't. Completely optional. Right? right. I mean, there are churches that don't do it. Um, yeah. And I think, so there's so there's a generosity I think you know I mean I know that I know that when it gets around baptism and those sorts of things uh, people can get sort of bent out of shape but for me um, it, we're sort of asking for kind of you know what Brian McLaren calls a generous orthodoxy right that if that if that is authentic to your relationship with God in that space I mean to me that's really the heart of the Quaker tradition was to get things out of the way so you could be in an authentic relationship with God. And if you're telling me that you, there's this practice you feel like you need to go through in order to deepen your relationship, by all means, do it. You know, it doesn't mean we have to institutionalize it. Doesn't mean we do it every Sunday, that sort of thing. But um, you know, I think about the difference between uh, gatekeeping, the sort of Quaker is a gatekeeping Quakerism mm-hmm. and generative Quakerism. And so to me, gatekeeping is very much about sort of setting up behavioral creeds and as Ben Ben Pink Dandelion talks about and and sort of creating a culture that says these are things we do, these are things we don't do, and we might get 50 years down the road and we don't even know why we're still doing this thing or why we're not doing this thing. It doesn't have any life in us, but we're we're not going to do it, right? And I know, okay, so one horse I have um, is that... Uh, you know, I've, I've been in a small meeting where there were a couple of newcomers, never been to a Quaker meeting before, and they're doing announcements at the end of meeting, and like, it's a small enough meeting that, you know, the person who's giving announcements is sitting two seats down from these new people. They know they've never seen them there before. <laughs> and they announce, um, since today is the second day, second first day of second month, we are going <laughs> to be doing some singing. And Part with the announcements, I just stopped and I turned to the I turned to the, the new couple and I was like, um, "Have you ever been to a meeting before?" They're like, "No, we've never been here." I'm like, "Have you been to any meeting before?" No. I'm like, "All right, let me translate." Yeah. And explained what the second first day of second month yeah, meant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you yeah. also explained what a yearly meeting is and what right. BYM stands for Baltimore Yearly Meeting, all that stuff. Um, but you know, to me, I think of the the. Um, days of the week thing mm-hmm. as being an empty form because um, for the most part half of us are convicted to do it in daily life mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. only Ohio friends those are the only ones I've ever met who actually do it in daily life use the use the um, numbered days of the week um, and frankly in a liberal Quaker context where you have Quakers, Quaker pagans saying we don't <laughs> use the names of the days of the week because they are pagan just doesn't make sense (laughs) yeah well and i like that and again i mean if that's 
if that's authentic to your experience of the divine, that's fine. Go for it. You know, but also let's do that. Let's be in, in between people and do like what you did where you translate and don't expect folks to just show up and figure it out, but actually invite them in. And so when you say this is what we need, that's an invitation in, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, I think that that's really important. Um, to me, that's and that's the you know the uh, the flip side of gatekeeping Quakerism would, is this idea of generative Quakerism, and I think that generative Quakerism is uh, something that is invitational. It is something that gives away our best stuff. So I don't need to keep copyright on what it means to be a Quaker, right? <laughs> I would love for you to take these ideas and run with them. You know, last year, um, I so I, I'm in this church communications group on Facebook um, because I work on my meetings website and you know that kind of stuff. And I remember somebody from um, I think a non-denominational or Baptist or some sort of evangelical church up in um, like Minnesota or somewhere that direction, Minnesota, Dakotas, saying, "Look, we don't have a pastor right now." We don't even have the interim pastor yet. We've been having guest pastors and the guy for next Sunday canceled. What do I do? Mm, mm. And I suggested doing waiting worship. I was mm. like, you know, here's what we do in my tradition. We don't have pastors, you know, in, mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. my segment of Quakerism. And so people, you know, you sit waiting for the still small voice. And, um, you know, people will share their testimonies, you know, um, which... You know, and I and I put this into terms that I, I use biblical language and put it into terms that I knew evangelical sure. would understand. Yeah. So talking about people talking about their testimonies, that how God's working in their life. Right. Um, or or people saying, you know, this this Bible verse came to mind and here's what it means and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And and she was like, Wow, that sounds really beautiful. We might have to try that. Mm, good. I don't know if they ended up doing it or not, but yeah, I think that we. I, I love that because I think that we. Um, we so we so often we want to be special, mm -hmm. and so we think that the way to be special is to kind of maintain this sense of purity. Like, so no, I'm not gonna throw pearls before swine and have some <laughs> non-denominational church have waiting worship. You know, like they, you know, they don't even know anything about it. I mean, you know, or hey. I'm gonna. I, I know enough about you that I'm gonna sort of put this in your context, and I would love for you to, you know, take this. This is an open source tradition. Take it, <laughs> run with it. You know, the the metaphor that I love for thinking about convergence is remix, because mm -hmm. to me, remix is taking tradition, something, a traditional piece of art, uh, you know, an old song, and bringing samples of that or enough well, of that well, into see, the future. You take a Freddie Mercury and Queen song and then you add Ding Ding and you get a Vanilla Ice song. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> well, there are better there are better remixes than others. Um, uh, you know, the, I mean, something that what makes a good remix is the the original is still identifiable. You should watch the time. Um, you know, that you can identify the original piece mm -hmm. of the sample or whatever, but it's also clearly something new. It's, mm -hmm. be, it's being done in a new way. Not my favorite, one of my favorite examples is Jay-Z's It's a Hard Knock Life. 
you know, right. where where he's sampling the song from the Broadway musical Annie, mm-hmm. but he's putting it into the life of growing up in the Bronx as an African American male. And he taught when he he talks about why he did that. He said, "I knew I." I he, he says that he connected with Annie's experience, um, you know, about how hard her life was, and he used that and knew that he could use that narrative to share his story with a broader audience. I think that's really powerful. And to me, that idea of remix fits really well with this idea of taking the tradition and doing something new, honoring the tradition, mm-hmm. uh, but creating something new. It doesn't have to be this copyrighted, locked down, no, you can't do that with Annie. You know, It becomes relevant again in a whole new context when we let people take it and run with it. Mm-hmm. Creative Commons share, share alike religion. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, and and the thing is, is that I think that this is actually um, uh, uh, inherent to the Quaker tradition. I mean, I think that I think that the the insight of the Quaker tradition is that as part of a that it is a participatory church. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, waiting worship started with the Seekers, not with the Quakers. Right. Exactly. Yes. Oh, and we're not the only ones that still have it. Because the Plymouth Brethren absolutely do waiting worship. The only difference is that the women don't get to speak. Well, so that's a good point because early Quakerism, the the start of Quakerism, is itself a remix of Seekers and early Anabaptist movement, General Baptists, all these different sorts of things that Fox and others were pulling in to create this sort of this new practice, this new mm-hmm. movement. So it is itself a remix. So one of the things um, about this idea of uh, Quakerism being a participatory church. Uh, so when I was doing my dissertation, I I took uh, fandom and participatory mm-hmm. culture studies, and I looked at how within fandom um, fans are taking and reappropriating texts. Right. Like, so, you mean like fanfic? Yeah, fan fiction. Of course. Um, so, so within fandom, what you see is particular um, original texts or a tradition being renewed constantly by new communities, being made relevant mm-hmm. again, apply, being applied to new contexts. And I, you know, my, my thought was, what could we learn as Quakers from participatory culture, from fandom, uh, to adapt back into our movement, to renew it, to revitalize it. And so I think that this idea of Quakerism as a uh, participatory church or participatory faith and um, looking at how do we remix out of our tradition mm-hmm. our insights that come about from being in dialogue with other things in our culture that are that we can learn from, which is going back to the very beginning of the conversation, a convergent thing to do. Okay. And um, do you want to plug your book before we yeah, so close out? <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess that seems like a natural conclusion. So if you're interested in those ideas uh, around remixing the Quaker tradition, then you can uh, get on Google and go to Amazon or Whitfinstock or any wherever you like to get your or independent booksellers and uh, look for a convergent model of renewal, remixing the Quaker tradition within a participatory culture by Wes Daniels.
right. Thanks, Wes. All right. Thanks. We will return next time with a uh, dive back into the book. I think I said last time that that was going to happen, but then uh, we realized that with some scheduling issues that it made more sense to just do the one-off with Wes before doing the book and then like putting him in the middle of an otherwise like logical series. So that's what's going on here. Um, if you have uh, any thoughts about this, uh, we would welcome your comments on the website, it's quakerpodcast.org, or on Twitter or Facebook. You can find us on the web at quakerpodcast.org, on Twitter as Quaker Faith, on Facebook, and on iTunes. 